Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back, everyone, to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I'm really excited because on today's episode, we have a very special guest. His name is Alpha, and he's a fellow PA. And he and I connected on Facebook through a Facebook group that's for PAs. And he shared such an incredible story that I had to have him on the show. So I'm really excited. Thanks for joining us today, Alpha. Well, thank you for having me, Kat. Do you mind sharing a bit about yourself? Can you introduce yourself? What do you do as a PA? Those types of things for the listeners. Okay. Well, my name is Alpha Journal. Um, I was uh, born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I came to the U.S. when I was about 10 years old. I grew up in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I'm the I'm one of five kids. I'm the youngest, and I have four older sisters. Uh, I became the first person in generation in my family to attend college. Uh, I received my uh, bachelor's degree in exercise physiology from Florida State University, and I received my master's in physician assistant studies from Kaiser University, also located in Fort Lauderdale. And I also have an MBA in healthcare uh, management from Davenport University. Cool. Uh, currently, I'm a practicing pediatric PA. Um, I am married. I have three kids, ranging from ages 13, uh, 5, and 4. And I moved from Florida to Connecticut uh, when my wife uh, started her residency. Sure, sure. Sounds like there's probably a change in the weather from that move. Yeah, we are expecting a nor'easter, which is a big snowstorm this weekend. Actually, start supposed to start at 7 p.m. tonight. Yeah, I saw that on the news this morning. I hope you guys are safe and that you don't get a ton of snow. We're in the upper Midwest, so we're used to lots of snow as well. So stay warm over there. All right. All right. So Alpha, can you share how you first learned about financial independence and what specifically drew you to the financial independence movement? Well, I first learned about the financial independence movement. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of uh, Dave Ramsey. Um, You know, when I after I graduated from college, I picked up one of his books. I started reading it and I became uh, a bit interested. And, you know, after PA school, I also was introduced to uh, this website called the White Code Investors. Um, so when I started reading the website, I was in awe of how I can become financially independent uh, by living like a resident. Sure. Basically starting out in my early career um, and, you know, by not overdoing it. You know, a lot of people, when they graduate from, you know, whether medical school or PA school, they get their first job. They do it, they overdo it a little bit by, you know, buying the, you know, a brand new car, or, you know, the big house, whatnot. Um, so, you know, I learned not to do that. And we basically bought pre-owned vehicles and we rented instead of buying a house for the f- uh, first few years out of, you know, training. And we paid off our student loans as quickly as possible. We hopefully we were able to do that within, you know, two years. And um, also we contribute to a lot of, you know, tax different accounts, such as, you know, we did 401k, IRA, um, you know, invest in like a three-fund portfolio, HSA, and, you know, again, 529 for our kids. That's wonderful. That's such a great background. It seems as though you and your wife were able to start your FI journey really early in both of your careers. Can you share what exactly you guys did right at the beginning to jumpstart the FI journey? Okay. Well, my wife is from a small island called St. Lucia, um, and she went to medical school in Seba, which is one of the Caribbean medical schools. And uh, she completed her residency in internal medicine. Um, going to the medical field can be very taxing and requires a lot of you know sacrifice and uh, dedication. The fact that both of us are in the same field actually help us better understand each other's schedule because you know when she was in residency, she would go you know anywhere from 
24, 48 hours without seeing her when she's on call. Um, and she has to stay over at the hospital and, um, you know, that's something that, you know, a lot of people are not used to, but, you know, being in the field, I I know what it requires to, you know, to, to get there. And, uh, basically we start this journey. I finished, I completed my uh, training, uh, right before she did. So the whole time, uh, you know, she was doing her residency, I was working as a PA and um, we were able to basically kind of like live in one income, uh, you know, use her income from residency to pay for student loans. And once, uh, you know, she graduated, kind of live up her income and use money to pay off my uh, my student loans. Nice. So that's basically how it all started. Uh, and then we took off from there. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. When we were messaging on Facebook, I thought it was fun to hear that your wife is from St. Lucia because I had a rotation in PA school in St. Lucia for a couple of weeks on the southern part of the island, which was really fun and interesting. And the culture there and the people there were super nice. So I thought that was really fun to hear. That's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't been to Haiti, though, yet. (laughs) Okay. But I want to go everywhere. So everywhere's on my list, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... Can you please share what it's like to both work in medicine as a couple? Well, um, you know, like I mentioned before, we do have uh, three kids, so <laughs> it's uh, it's a little hectic, but we we manage um, and uh, having the schedule as a you know as a resident, you don't always know your um you know when the next time you can have a break so the fact that we were able to um you know work on the schedule so when my wife was in residency we had uh she had the uh our first one before residency and then one in residency one right after residency wow that sounds like uh, very hard (laughs) yes uh it i mean she's She's a super hero if you ask me because awesome. not many people are able to do that. So, uh, but, you know, we're able to get through it. And um, the fact that we understand understand each other um, kind of help a lot. So. <laughs> Very cool. That's that's great. I think that, like you said, there definitely can be some pluses, both working in medicine. I, I can imagine there right. are some challenges, too, because I'm sure both of your schedules are very busy. But like you said, that you're able to kind of understand each other and be, you know, provide some perspective and respect each other for it. So it sounds like it's working really well for you guys. That's great. And then in addition to working as a PA, you've shared with me that you also have some side hustles. So can you share with the listeners what those are? So I've always had this entrepreneur mindship. Um, whenever, Even when I was in high school, I used to go to uh, uh, BJ's, buy, you know, like chips and candies, wholesale price and sell them in, individually. Sure. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, even my, when I was growing up, my mom used to always, you know, teach us that, you know, we always have to have some type of uh, business, I guess, uh, to kind of, you know, be kind of like your own boss. Um, so, you know, after I graduated, uh, uh, college, I, you know, did go get a business degree as well. And, um, and, and I've learned a lot in throughout the courses, you know, how to, you know, you know, start business, uh, whatnot. Um, so when I started working as a PA, I wanted to have not just, you know, one stream of income, I wanted to have uh, multiple streams of income, because again, like, you know, 2020 showed us, you know, nothing is guaranteed. You know, even yeah. when I was working full time, when the pandemic hit, you know, many people had their hours cut and I was, you know, one of them. And that kind of, you know, helped me to focus on building other streams of income. And some of the uh, side gigs I've, you know, I've done over the years, I've had, um, I've done like medical surveys, which I still do to this day. Um, through they, there are so many platforms out there, and um, you know, sign up for them has allowed me to you know earn a few hundred dollars extra per month. 
because again, all they ask you is for your opinion and being the medical field, you know, they, um, they, uh, there are so many different, there are so many different topics that you can, you know, uh, talk about or give your input on. And, um, so that's one of them. I've been doing that for a few years and, uh, and I mean, it's no, not much, but it's definitely able to, whether to pay off your, you know, gas every single month. Uh, that's definitely something. Yeah, that's um, great. And also, um, I also own a ATM business where I also have different ATM machines at different locations where I, uh, you know, manage them and uh, refill them. So that's that's been going good. And um, also real estate too. We have a few uh, rental properties. And also, I mean, I guess uh, crowdfunding is one thing I also do on the side too. So, sure. Uh, so all those different type of uh, passive, I guess, income or side gigs, would you call it, uh, has allowed me to, um, you know, be a bit more comfortable if something like twenty twenty were to happen again. That I think will be fine. Sure. Interesting. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into real estate a little bit more in a moment here, but can you share just a little bit more details about the ATM business? And do you feel like that's something that PAs can easily start or is that kind of difficult to get into or what are some of the details about that? So uh, anybody can get into the the ATM business. Um, so the first thing, if someone were to be interested, the first thing you have to do is you have to get an EIN number. I mean, you have to go to the IRS website and get that number, and you have to create a business. So you have to go to your state um, site and you know form the business uh, LLC. And then the next thing you have to do is get a uh, open a bank account. So it that's where the tricky part is because not every bank will allow you to have a business account for ATM. So you have sure. to kind of um, look first, I would say, start with your local um, union branch, just because um, they're more likely to that you have one as opposed to a big name branch. Um, so once you've done that, uh, the next thing will be, you know, finding a location, a location that that's in need of a, of an ATM. So, if, um, for example, if you go to your barbershop, you know, if they take cash, it, it all depends because some places might say, yeah, we need an ATM machine, but you put it there, you're not going to have any any transactions at all. Sure. So it depends if the place is cash only or what they need the ATM for, because a lot of places, whenever you use a credit card at their business, they get charged uh, a fee from mm-hmm. the credit card company. Yeah. So some businesses uh, like to have an ATM there. That way, you can use the ATM machine and pay them cash, or that way they don't have to, um, you know, uh, pay that fee. Um, so once you once you find a location, a business that in need of your ATM machine, then you would get a hold of a, a, a buy the ATM from a processor. A lot of processors sell the machine. Um, they sell them and they ship it to you. And um, basically it has to be programmed, linked to your bank account, and then you place at the location. And then you have to have a contract with that location about how much you're going to charge uh, for the surcharge. Some places, um, you know, it can charge uh two dollars three dollars per transaction and also some places want like to get a portion of it so you can't you some some location you may have to split the surcharge sure so if you charge three dollars you get two dollars and they get one dollar um but some places just like the fact having the machine there will save them a lot of money um and uh, so again it depends on the location some locations are very busy you can have anywhere from uh, 100 transactions a month to 300 to even a thousand so it all depends on the location so if you have a location that's about uh, 100 transactions a month which is you no know, average uh and you're charging uh you know three dollars per uh per uh transactions that's about 300 dollars you can make um and if you have a location that's extremely busy because I have one location that does about you know three four hundred transactions uh, per month, and you can do the math how much extra income you can be earning from that. 
I mean, it's a good business because the barrier to entry is kind of low because the machine, you can purchase the machine for about $2,500. Okay. Um, and one of the thing I, the way I look at it is if I have $5,000 sitting in a, uh, in a bank account, that's earned me about 0.01 interest. Sure. You know, I'm not making much money. I'd rather have that money sitting in the machine and then recycle that money over and over again, where it's earning me more income than as opposed to just leaving it in a, uh, you know, in a, um, a savings account. So yeah. again, if someone were, to, were interested, um, I'll say you probably will need about, you know, $5,000 to start up with to buy the machine. And of course, you know, when you register your machine or the business, you have to pay your state fee in Connecticut, it's about $100 um, to um, open a business. And, um, and after that, and you're gonna have you're gonna need cash to put in the machine. So typically, I would start off with about two thousand dollars in the machine to see how it goes because some locations go through two thousand dollars in one day. So it all um, depends how busy it is. You may have to load the machine with you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. I know some people that does that. They, oh wow! Um, again, all depends on how many transactions you get per month. And um, again, once you load the machine, you see how it goes. You know that will basically tell you how much money and also how often you want to go to that location to fill the machine whether it's you know once a month once a week or twice a week uh twice a month it it all depends interesting yeah that was gonna be my next question is how much babysitting so to speak once this is set up you have to do by taking right. money to the machine so it like you said it just kind of depends upon how busy the place is interesting yeah what type of crowdfunding do you do so uh, that uh, crowdfunding was my first introduction to uh, real estate. I used to use this platform. I don't think they're uh, there anymore, Realty Shares. Um, and uh, I've used a, a, quite a few Realty Shares, Realty Mogul. And also um, uh, there's one that's called the Lending Club, but I don't think they are accepting people anymore they just have now you can set up like iras or 401ks through them but um basically realty shares and realty mogul um it's again it's all real estate based um they're basically you go on the platform you see the different projects that they have and you can um you know contribute or you can lend your money out to, um, you know, whatever the project is, whether it's they buying like office building, um, you know, you would, uh, they have, um, they have what's called, um, what's called uh, different levels, I guess. Um, if you, if you're a newcomer, I, I think you, the lowest you can start with is like $5,000 and you can go up from there. Okay. Um, and also you have to be for realty shares, the pen, they have the realty one, uh, REIT, basically re- real estate, um, investment, and Charles, you can, um, in order to be accepted to that, you have to be, to call what's called a, uh, um, a credit investor. I think you either have to, have a million dollar net worth or, you know, at least uh, $300,000 or, or, you know, uh, household income or something of that nature. Um, and then basically you put your money because again, like any investment, there are risks. They just want to make sure that if you're going to invest, if something goes wrong, that you are not, you know, out in five for bankruptcy. Um, and it, it goes, you know, comf- comfort level. You can, you know, like I said, you can, Start as well as five thousand dollars. Some people invest fifty, a hundred thousand. All depends on your comfort level and what you have to play with. So, my husband and I are thinking about getting a little bit more into real estate. We do invest in REITs just within our retirement accounts currently, but we're okay. you know looking forward to potentially doing small multifamilies or maybe possibly larger multifamilies or something like that. We're just in the you know early phase of researching and stuff like that too. So I'm really excited to talk more about real estate with you because it sounds like you have invested in real estate for quite a while. Um, but I do have yes. a follow-up question about the crowdfunding. So just hearing you talk about that, it kind of sounds like syndications to me. Would you say that they're synonymous or is there a difference yeah, between them? Yeah, uh, it's kind of like syndication. Um, uh, again, um, 
it, it's very similar. Um, I mean, syndication is something that I'm looking to get into uh, in the near future. Sure. Uh, I'm still doing a little bit more research, but from my research, I don't really see much difference. I mean, the only difference I've, I've been seeing is the syndication. The amount is usually larger. It's usually the minimum of like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but these are small reads. You know, you don't need to have that much money to get into them. I, I think sure. the first one I did with Realty Share was like, you know, I think it was like a thousand dollars, and then it was for um, like eighteen months. So I, okay. I was playing around with it, put it in. And then got my money back with, you know, all the interest. And then, I'm like, oh, okay, that worked out well. So I, you know, started doing more of it. So Yeah, I've heard Passive Income MD talk a fair amount about syndications because it sounds as though this, those can be pretty passive in that once yeah. you've done your thorough due diligence and your thorough research of the syndication right. and decide that you want to invest, then, yeah. you know, you're not the one necessarily doing the work. You're putting your trust and your money into this company that's doing the work of this real estate investing. But like you said, you have to be an accredited investor. So for a lot of PAs, that can be fairly difficult to become. You know, like you said, I think that the um, net worth is a million dollars, but I think that excludes your primary residence, unfortunately. So it's not like you can count that towards the million. And then you have to have a pretty large income, household income or um individual income. So some PAs, you know, do make that income, but I would say a lot of them don't necessarily on their own. So maybe crowdfunding would be a good alternative to kind of look into, or sometimes you can get into syndications if you have a kind of personal relationship with Mm -hmm. one of the syndicator companies, so to speak, meaning that if you know one of the investors or the founders of the company and they they trust your situation, even if you're not technically an accredited investor. I think that you can still invest with them. So maybe that's in, yeah. down the road in the future as well. Yes, and um, with uh, and also with uh, one of the crowdfunding that I mentioned was um, uh, the lending club. That one is not just about real estate. Um, basically, once you sign up for the platform, like I said, I don't think you can sign up anymore, but. Uh, when, when you sign up on the platform, um, you know, you have uh, basically you act as a bank and basically some people that needed money for a project, they go on there, um, they put all the information, their credit score and you know, what type of um, job they have. And then basically and they get graded A, B, C, D, F. You know, if you're a if you go if you're a uh, a person that means that your credit score really high and the interest rate I would get if I were to lend to that person would be lower than I, if I were to do someone that's great as an F because sure. um, you know there's more risk there I'm more likely not able to get my money back so a person I may get like a five percent interest uh, whereas as like a D or E person I may get like you know 20 25 percent um interest if I lend to him. So if someone wants to pay off the credit card, they want some cash, they go on there, they put the information, they get vetted by the by the site. Um, and then I, you know, of course, look through all the information, see if that's something that I want to do. If I want to lend to that person, I lend to it. And then every month you get um, the, you get, you know, you would get the, the interest. And you can do it for one, three, five years. I have a few um, portfolio that are for five years, even though the website is not active anymore. To do that, I'm still getting those um, interests back and my payment back until I guess the five years up. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that background with us. That's very interesting to think about for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into what all you're investing in in regards to real estate and what that process has been like and things like that. Can you share what appeals to you about investing in real estate? Uh, so with real estate, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of benefits to it because I'm not sure if you ever heard of the 90% of, you know, millionaire invest in real estate. Um, and, you know, some of the benefits are appreciation, you know, the tax benefits um, you get from real estate. And 
I'll always appreciate it. I appreciate Upwork. So whatever, if you bought something 10 years ago for like $100,000, um, you know, now it's probably worth, if not double that, you know, yeah. because of how crazy the market is. And um, there is a saying that, you know, <laughs> you should uh, buy real estate and wait and not wait to buy real estate. Sure. <laughs> you can buy that anytime <laughs> yep. and it will go up from there. That's one thing about real estate is appreciation and some of those benefits that you get. And then you can build, you know, generational wealth depending on how you structure it. So that's one thing that's very appealing um, to me about real estate is the how you can leverage if you have, you know, a hundred thousand dollars save or something like that. You can control, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars of worth of real estate with, you know, that money that you have. So which is, you know, I think that's a very uh, beautiful thing about real estate. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So can you share, Alpha, what types of properties you invest in? So, um, so when I, uh, first, uh, started one thing led to another. So again, the first, the, the way I got introduced into real estate, again, when I started listening to the white coin investor podcast, and there are a lot of guests that, you know, that comes on that podcast. And one of them was coach Carson. Basically he basically teaches people how to invest in real estate. Yeah. he's. And I was very intrigued by his interview when, um, after listening to him and I started kind of following his real estate journey and one name that kept coming on his podcast was the bigger pockets. Sure. And then, you know, I went into a rabbit hole. Totally. You know, listening to, started listening to bigger pockets and reading their blogs and, uh, you know, some of their books. Um, and uh, one thing most of the guests had in common on bigger pocket, they all mentioned about reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. Like, man, that must be a big, uh, good book if everyone's. <laughs> Is that if everyone's talking about it? So that picked my interest, and I purchased the book and read it in a couple of weeks. And my interest was picked again. And in 2019, um, my goal was to read one financial book per month, and which I did. Um, and then, uh, so I did my research for a good year, um, reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, and lit a fire under me and got me interested into, um, you know, take the step going to real estate a few months. Um, I was on, you know, within a few months, I was on a contract, um, you know, for our first house, which was a triplex. Um, you know, so what we did was call a house hack. So house hack is basically when you uh, purchase a property, whether it's a single duplex or triplex, you live in one unit and rent not the other units. And basically that will be paying for your, um, for your mortgage. And so we purchased the triplex right before COVID hit. Um, and, you know, that was back in March 3rd. And I think everything shut down March 13th. Wow. So, and, you know, hours were cut. And um, that gave me some time to focus more into real estate. Um, and within a year of that year, we ended up purchasing three more properties. Wow. That's a um, lot in a year. So- Congrats. <laughs> Yes. Um, so again, you know, based, uh, you know, again, when you do what's called the house hacking method, you're able to save a lot of money um, because you don't really have a mortgage. Um, the other two units were paying for it. So we, that allows us to save more to put, you know, as down payments in other, uh, so the other properties that we uh, purchase. That's awesome. Yeah, I've talked a little bit before about house hacking. I haven't done house hacking technically myself, but I think that it's a wonderful strategy for people to build wealth over time. So thank you for sharing your experience with that. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, the white coat investor, Coach Carson, Bigger Pockets, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all of those, those are all wonderful resources and they all are great rabbit holes to go down, so to speak. And you mentioned reading books. So we're recording this episode a little bit earlier from when it's going to be airing. But on the episode that posted this morning, which was episode 52 of the PA That Five Way podcast, I listed book recommendations for financial independence for PAs to read. So I did an episode about that and also have a blog post. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad was in there as well. So definitely check that out if you guys haven't done so yet for the listeners. Yeah, and I think I was reading your uh your blog and I saw that. I'm like, oh, 
I think I read half of those books. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. I, yeah, the they have you have the millionaire next door is on there. Um, yeah, the richest man in Babylon. So there, yeah. I, I think if anybody's interested in, um, you know, in joining the five movement, I, you know, definitely you have to do a lot of reading. Um, if you have a long commute, um, you know, listening to podcasts, I think. Um, one of the, I guess, hardest thing, you know, was, you know, if you are, you know, married, getting your spouse to be on board. And I think I bored my wife enough. With, <laughs> every day I was listening to podcasts and, you know, and I show her, you know, the numbers, you know, if we do this, this is what's going to happen. And I think she finally gave in. So I think I bored her for like a whole year. Sure. Totally. <laughs> so she's like, okay, let's try it. And then once we did the first deal, she's like, oh. This thing is really working. Yeah. <laughs> and then she let me <laughs> do the other deals. <laughs> that's great. That's great. I know it seems like there's yeah. always one spouse that starts on board mm-hmm. and then yeah. the other spouse kind of looks at them like, you're kind of crazy right <laughs> now. Well, we go down that rabbit hole and do our research and try to talk to them and convince them like, no, the five mm-hmm. movement is really cool. Come on board. But yes, it, <laughs> it, it can be difficult to get your spouse on board at the beginning, at least. But it is important that you guys work together as a team, right? That you guys eventually both try to figure out what goals you have for your future. So that's great. Mm -hmm. Cool. So can you share why you decided to invest in long-term rentals versus short-term rentals? And can you share with the audience kind of the difference between those two options if they aren't familiar? Okay. So short-term rentals are more like, you know, um, Airbnb, Airbnb. and a long-term rental is when we have like a year lease. Um, after my wife completed residency, we were not sure if we want to stay in Connecticut or not. So after reading, um, after renting for three years, we bought, uh, we thought, you know, why don't we just own a house, not necessarily, necessarily the forever home, but uh, buy a house, rent out some of the units while we figure out what we're going to do with our lives. Um, so we decided, uh, to do what's called the house hacking, like I talked, uh, mentioned before by purchasing, uh, purchasing the triplex. So that's, uh, basically it's an introduction into real estate, I would say, because you, you are learning a lot as you, um, as you become, I guess, a, a landlord. Um, and again, I, we didn't really have own a house before so i mean there's a lot of things that goes into owning, owning a house you know things break you have to learn how to fix some things or hiring the right people to do it um and that's i think that's a good way you know, house hacking to get into real estate and uh and that will help you scale quicker uh, like i said before we the because we live in one unit, we essentially can't live in for free, and the rents we collect in the two units cover the mortgage, and I think that's where we're, we're able to scale. And short-term rental is definitely something that we eventually want to do. Um, again, like I said, we uh, we were living in Florida, we moved to Connecticut. Um, as of, as to whether we are you know staying here forever or not, we're not sure, but we definitely want to buy a house in Florida. And you know, do use that as a short term rental, and whenever we go down to visit family, at least we have you know somewhere to stay, and then we're not in in that place during that time of year, we can rent it out. Cool. Um, so if we end up staying in Connecticut, we'll at least have a vacation home in Florida where we can Airbnb when we're not using it, and it will pay for itself. Nice, nice, very interesting. Yeah, I think that. There are many real estate investors out there that do eventually invest in both long-term and short-term rentals. Some of them start with short-term, but I would say many of them probably do start with long-term. And like you said, just kind of learn the process and try different things and kind of see what works well for them and and their spouses as well. And then Alpha, you have shared with me that you self-manage your properties, which means that you kind of run the show, overlook everything, kind of take care of things. So can you share what that experience has been like? And then also, have you considered using a property manager to take care of it instead of you if you wanted to, to kind of free up more time for you? Okay. So um, when uh, the pandemic started, I I was I used to work uh, five days a week and I kind of cut back my hours to three days a week, um, nice. but th- three longer days. 
uh, you know, so I have, you know, more days off. And currently we have, like I said, we have four properties. We have one, we have two uh, condos, uh, one triplex and one fourplex. So a lot of people are afraid of getting to real estate because they don't want to get that 2 a.m. phone calls that everyone talk about, you know, from tenants complaining about their, you know, toilet. Sure. (laughs) Um, I've been managing my properties for about two years now and I have yet to receive that call. Good, good. I mean, I do receive (laughs) calls uh, for some things, but not... 2 a.m., 2 o'clock in the morning. Again, you know, you have to set you no know, boundaries. And it's very important when you get a tenant that you vet the tenant property, not just let um, any tenant rent your properties. Um, and, you know, vetting the tenant, having a lease in place, um, you know, having whether like a, someone's more experienced or a lawyer look over your leases is very important. And, um, and, I mean, it's very doable because I'm doing it myself. Um, it's very important to have a system in place. Some of the tenants I inherited used to, for example, always pay their rent in cash. That translated to me having to be there to collect the rent. Sure. Uh, that did not sit too well with me because I didn't want to be, you know, going knocking on people's door to collect the rent. Yeah. Um, and so what I did is I give them options, you know, or paying their rent electronically or going to the bank to deposit the rent themselves. So what I provided them with deposit slips for the whole year. Um, so that has worked out well for me because I was out of the country for 10 days for the first week of January. And I was still able to collect the rent without having me to be physically there. Nice. Um, so, again, I talked about the system earlier. Um so while I was at the country, I did receive, uh, you know, uh, a message from one of my tenants. Uh, what I did, I just basically forwarded to my handyman. So I have nice. a handyman that takes care of stuff. And then he was able to go over there and, you know, take care of the issue. So I didn't have to be there. I didn't have to even talk to the tenant because I had someone there already to do that for me. Again, having a reliable handyman is very important to, you know, in self-managing um, your properties. Um, if I... Where to decide to invest out of state or self-manage, managing become too overwhelming for me. I think that that what at that point, that's when I would hire a property manager. But in the meantime, I'm enjoying the process and I'm learning a lot. So I think that you know I can do it myself for now, and it doesn't cut into your cash flow because a lot of property management, you know, you do have to pay a ten percent, um, ten uh, percent of the rent that you receive to them. Um, but like I said, it's very doable. Um, I'm doing it, so I have no problem with it for now. Great. Thank you for sharing your perspective with your experience so far. That's, that's wonderful. And then we have touched on this a little bit so far throughout the episode, but can you share why you think real estate investing is so powerful and what you think the advantages and if there are some disadvantages of real estate investing that you would like to share with the listeners? So, uh, again, real estate is very powerful because I think it's the best way to become financially independent and create generational wealth. Um, advantages are appreciation, tax advantages. Uh, for instance, um, when we purchased the triplex earlier in 2020, right before the pandemic happened, right before COVID hit, um, and then a year later, uh, the market blew up. Uh, house appreciated the house appreciated over a hundred thousand wow. like, within a year. It's amazing. Um, and I capitalized on that by taking out what's called HELOC. So basically yeah. HELOC is a home equity line of credit. Um, I think um, it's like, I think it went over the, when we did like a one, my realtor did like a, um, a, a comparable CMA comp, uh, and also, we saw that the house appraised at you know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars more than we bought it for, so I took out the hundred thousand dollar HELOC. This means this means that I have hundred thousand dollars like in the checking account that I can use for whatever I want um, and only pay interest on the amount that I use. So basically, it's not it, it it's not like a loan because the loan once you take out the loan, you get charged interest on it, it's like you get the full amount and you start getting interest on it. The HELOC is basically like a checking account. The money is there. You get you get charged interest only when you use it and for the, only the amount that you use. 
So um, when I first um, uh, won my one of my businesses, one of the ATM business, I got a location in a short notice. So what I did, I took some of that money to use for that machine. And then after a while, I was, I was able to put the money back until the machine was able to sustain itself. Um, so again, that's one belief of real estate is, the, like I said, the appreciation. And also it can help you, um, you know, scale at a, a quick, uh, at a, um, a level that, you know, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't be able to with um, some other investment. And uh, so this means that, like I said, with the money that we have uh, for the, uh, from the HELOC, and we can use it if we decide to buy another property, you can use it as a down payment on the next property. Um, sure. And we're just basically waiting for what our next move is. Um, and uh, also the real estate, real estate has allowed us to acquire over you know $1.5 million of cash flow and assets within a short period of time, wow. two years, just by leveraging. Uh, again, like any investment, there are pros and cons. The disadvantage of risk is that we start you taking the liability because if you know you have people that are responsible for it, tenants, just have to make sure that you um, you know first vet your tenants and make sure you don't have you know somebody who's going to trash your place and I pay rent. Um, and it, you know I use a um, platform that do the whole screening process. Oh, okay. If the person is interested, I just give them the link. Um, they go on the on the site. They do it does a whole background check and it sends me all the information. Sure. And then if I see any red flags, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, sorry. And you also have requirements, you know, you have to have at least, you know, two times your income, uh, the rent as you know, income at least and also no past eviction. Uh, have a minimum credit score that I require um, for my tenants. Um, and also getting the proper insurance. You know, if you are going to have the properties in your name, um, make sure you have umbrella policy. Um, and if you have, uh, you can put them in LLC. Again, structuring everything correctly lessens some of those risks that you, um, you know, acquire when you become an investor. Nice. Do you mind sharing the name of that site for vetting your tenants? So I use uh, Vell.co. Um, so basically, one of my units that uh, one of the units that we when we purchased it, it, it was uh, didn't have anyone in it, it was vacant. So um, what I what we did is we, um, you know, list the units on Realtor.com, um, Facebook and other sites. And also, they'll post them on different platforms for you. Okay. And then I would get tons and tons of, like, I post the 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 condo, and within, like, 24 hours, I had, like, over 100 people interested. Oh, wow. <laughs> wanted to get. Holy I'm cow, like, that's oh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to show 100 people the unit. So what I did, I have, you know, the uh, the requirement I'm like do you meet those requirements do you have this amount of income do you uh, no pets no no smoking allowed and um, if they if they you know check all the boxes what I did is I didn't show each individual the unit I set up an open house on the weekend and if you're interested you come I had a two hour window period on on Saturday and Sunday they come they took a look look at the unit. When they get there, I give them the link because I didn't want to see any, not do any sight unseen rental. Sure. So you have to see the unit first and I kind of have to meet you. And then I give you the link. And then when you get home, you fill out the application and I get the application from the site and I go through them. Um, and um, it was on the first come, first serve. If you meet all the criteria, if you were one of the first, then you will get the unit. Nice. Very interesting. Yeah. And you mentioned either an umbrella insurance policy or potentially LLCs for the properties. Do you mind sharing if you yeah. feel comfortable? Do you do a combination of the two or do you have an LLC where they're all in? Or I've also heard that other investors will have an LLC for each separate property. 
Yeah, I have a com- I do a combination of the two. Um and uh and you, they usually advise to, you know, put each prop in in its separate LLC. Sure. Um and uh because, you know, if you have insurance on the on the property if something were to happen, um you know, if it's an LLC, they can only go after the LLC. They cannot go after your personal assets. Um, but if you have it under your name, um, besides the regular insurance you have, uh, it's usually recommended to have, you know, umbrella policy. So at least, you know, a million dollar of uh, in umbrella policy. So after once they've reached that uh, insurance amount we cover, then it goes to the umbrella policy. Sure. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspective and your expertise with investing in real estate for the listeners. I think that it was a really interesting conversation. So thank you for that. Thank you. (laughs) And then before we wrap up here, can you share why you're pursuing financial independence? What is your why of FI? Well, I'm pursuing, I guess, the FI fire um, because I want to be able to do things that I want to do. Uh, in life uh, when I want to do it. Right? Perfect. So I love practicing medicine as a PA, but as COVID showed us, nothing is guaranteed. I love traveling and want to build a generational wealth for my family. That's my why. Um, one of the goal, the goal that I had was, because um, I, when I first started this whole real estate thing, I, am, I, I told my wife, we're only going to get one property per child because we want to have the property and um you know when they when they you know get to college that property is going to be paying for their college tuition um and then you know once they graduate you know the the income can from the property uh you know will whether you know pay for their first down payment on their house or uh, their wedding whatnot um that's that was one of the goal and then when we purchase the the condo it just happened that we got two deal for one <laughs> um so we had two for one kind of thing so that worked out well um and uh and uh, and again we just say one sort of thing once you start investing it you can't get addicted you always <laughs> want sure you want going <laughs> If you have, if you get the right deal, because some people, you know, their first deal is not the, you know, the most amazing deal that kind of deterred them from, you know, further pursuing real estate. But, you know, if you run the numbers right, you, you have to, you know, when you are, they have this rule in real estate, it's called the 1% rule. I mean, I guess it's more like a, it's not really a rule because it's very hard to get something that's the 1% here in uh, Connecticut or even the uh, Northeast. Um, sure. The 1% will basically say that if you purchase a property for $100,000, you should be getting at least $1,000 of rent and income. That will guarantee that you cash flow that property. But again, that doesn't always happen. Um, again, but running the numbers, making sure you have the, uh, in the, the m- numbers make sense for you um, will kind of help gauge you, you know, whether this is a good deal or, or not. Um, so again, like I said, my fight is to be able to create enough, um, you know, passive income that, uh, will basically, if I stop, if I were to stop working, I would still get that amount of, uh, income that I was getting, you know, as a PA, um, and also build generational wealth. Um, so basically, you know, when you have, uh, I guess assets like this, uh, it 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 depends on what you want to do with it. Do you want to pass it on to your kids, or do you want to keep on keep it going, right? So one of the things that I've been learning about is you know trust. You know, putting your asset in a trust. Um, that way, even if you when you die, it stays you know in the family, keeps on building generational wealth. You know. It depends on how you set up because if it depends on how you establish that trust, nobody will be able to touch it, um, and they cannot sell the property. It's just gonna keep they just gonna keep on receiving the cash flow, and that's one way that a lot of people, you know, you know, wealthy people like the Rockefeller or the the Vanderbilt, that's basically how they build generation wealth. Even though they establish, you know, <laughs> their business, you know, years and years ago, and but 
kid their kids now and still getting the reaping the benefits of it. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Well, I really appreciated that you took the time out of your day, Alpha, to share your story. I think it is so inspirational and you just touched on so many amazing decisions that you and your wife have made over the years in pursuing financial independence. So thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being on your podcast today. Yeah. If the listeners would like to connect with you or if they have any questions, is there a certain way that they could connect with you perhaps either on social media or an email or something like that or website? Yeah. So I'm on mostly on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, Instagram, the, um, the underscore FIPA. Um, and on Facebook, I'm Alpha Burger. Um, and, uh, so I, I'm, I'm on, I'm on mostly on Facebook, but on Facebook, I'm in a lot of different groups. I am more kind of like a, a, a ghost. I just follow a lot of groups because I like to learn. I learn from different groups. I mean, so many different investors group, real estate investors group, and also, um, landlord groups. And I basically watch, I learn from experience, you know, from other people's experience. I just basically watch what they post in and, and then I've tweaked my um, leases a whole lot based on what I read on some of those groups. <laughs> I'm like, oh, people do that? Okay, I need to put that in my, in my, uh, in my leases. So I don't have to go to that. Um, so, uh, again, if, if you know, you, you were to reach out, I would, I will, you know, definitely respond back. If you have any questions, I'll try to help you the best that I can. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alpha. It was super fun and such an informative conversation. I think the listeners will really appreciate and get a lot of value. So thanks again. Thank you, Kat. Thank you. And you're doing a great job with, because I know there's a lot of groups out there. Um, and then when I saw they had one for PA about FI, I'm like, hmm, that's, a, that's interesting. I started reading about I'm like, oh man, she's doing a really awesome job. And I would definitely want to you know, <laughs> stay in touch with you and uh, whatever your next uh, endeavor is and uh, try to help as much as I can. Awesome. Thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. Welcome. You guys, wasn't that such a great episode with Alpha? I think his story is so incredibly inspirational. I wanted to take just a couple of moments here at the end to say that he had talked to me after we were done recording and he said that he was a little bit nervous, so he forgot to mention that his mom has been able to help out a lot with the kiddos that he and his wife have, and he wanted to make sure that his mom got the credit that she deserved. So I just wanted to add that at the end of the episode today. So thanks again for taking a listen, and we'll see you back next week. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on, but more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.